This is a Pele Media Podcast. Welcome back to Jurassic Park Minute, everyone. Jurassic Park Minute is the fan podcast where we break down and overanalyze the classic 1993 film Jurassic Park Minute by Minute. I'm your host, Brady, and normally I would be joined by my co-host, Kyle, but unfortunately, Kyle cannot be with us tonight. We do, however, have the distinct pleasure of having a very, very special guest on, Mr. Ryan Haupt. Ryan, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. Uh, for those who might not know, Ryan is an actual paleontologist as well as a podcaster. He's the host of the Science Sort of Podcast. So, Ryan, thank you so much for coming on tonight. Oh, thanks for having me, Brady. This is really exciting. I, I've like been getting literally a little bouncy around the, the apartment while I prepare <laughs> for this because I was so excited to, to talk about this movie. Yeah, and you're also getting like some of the best minutes of the entire film. Oh, incredible. Incredible yeah, minutes. Definitely. So before we really get into the minute, I want you to um, tell us a little bit about what you do, how you got interested in paleontology, and did the movie have anything to do that? Did it influence that in any way? Oh, interesting. Okay, so uh, huge disclaimer before we get started with any of this. Um, I am not a dinosaur paleontologist. Okay. I am a mammal paleontologist, so I study the uh, paleoecology of mammals so ecology is the science of what things actually did when they were alive so gotcha you know you've got different branches of paleontology you've got the paleontology of how things preserve you've got the paleontology of how things moved you've got the paleontology of relationships between different animals and plants and and all the other organisms on earth and then you've got uh the and i'm probably leaving things out so you know send your hate mail straight to me don't send it to Brady. it's not his fault um and then you've got the paleontology of what the animals actually and the plants actually did when they were alive. Yeah. Um, so that's what I look at. I, I want to know, okay, so you're alive, you're walking around, you're interacting with your community, you're interacting with your ecosystem. What does that look like? What are you eating? What's eating you? That, that stuff. And so I tend to focus on um, mammals. The two particular groups I tend to spend my mo- most of my time with are uh, sloths and uh, carnivores. Really? So, yeah, so kind of disparate groups. Uh, yeah. it's um, My research career has evolved much like the animals did. It started from a common point and then split and diverged and got weird. And so, um, <laughs> you know, I don't, want, I, I don't need to get into the nitty-gritty of my research, but, you know, those are the kinds of things I focus on. Yeah. And in terms of how I got interested in paleontology, I started undergrad at, at University of California, Santa Cruz, as a born-again creationist. Really? And ended up with a degree in ecology and evolutionary biology. So pretty big arc. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) no, to say the least. Yeah, definitely. And a big part of that was dinosaurs. So my first year, my freshman year, I was actually an astrophysics major, um, which probably would not have done well as a creationist either. (laughs) But um, (laughs) my third quarter, UCSC is on the quarter system, I had a, a spare time slot available for just kind of a for fun class and i noticed that there was a class called the natural history and evolution of dinosaurs and i thought okay that sounds interesting and i i had grown up like we all do or uh at least i everybody i know i don't know anybody who wasn't interested in dinosaurs as a kid right so i thought yeah let's give this a shot and the instructor for that course hildy schwartz was just an incredible instructor um she presented 
the idea of dinosaurs and the idea of evolution in such a clear and elegant and non-confrontational way that like it's almost the poetry of it that made me realize oh there's something here this actually kind of makes sense and these puzzle pieces fit together quite nicely and so i developed a relationship with her asked her what other courses i could take to kind of explore the, these ideas further she she uh suggested some upper level paleontology courses courses which i didn't even have the prereqs for but she made sure i was able to get in them and through the course of that i ended up working in a lab and then by working in a lab i saw that like oh this is an actual job that people do <laughs> and, and you can you can do this every day and have it be your career and i also kind of realized that like i actually like these people these people that work in these labs yeah are, it's it's uh they're my tribe um that's how i like nice. to say it so I, I found my people i found my tribe and <laughs> ended up going to grad school and am now you know finishing up a phd and hoping to be a working paleontologist for the rest of my career so that is that's, awesome. that's kind of my arc that's awesome yeah man what a story you know I'm, most of the time you would ask someone something i guess kind of like that and it's like yeah, you know, dinosaurs are cool, so I went to school for it, and boom, like that. But it sounds like you have actually had this uh, journey, this, like you said, an arc um, into kind of finding your way to, to where you are right now, and that is, that's awesome. That's fascinating. So let me see, you were on Star Wars Minute. Yes, Sorry. I was. Well, so I'm buddies with Josh Flanagan, who's a frequent guest on Star Wars Minute, yeah. and uh, co-founder of the iFanboy podcast, and through our friendship, uh, because I'm also a comic book nerd... Um, I, I found out about Star Wars Minute, heard him on Star Wars Minute, and then just cornered him and said, you have to, you have to tell these guys I want to be on their show. <laughs> Otherwise, we're not friends yeah. anymore. There were some great episodes. I, I can't believe I got to, I got to do the destruction of Alderaan. Yeah. It's just, it's such a good show. And, and, it, and it's, you know, it's the progenitor of the minute by minute format. And uh, as I was telling you a little bit with our correspondence over email, I've been really hesitant to pick up too many of the minute by minute podcasts because it's such a huge commitment both Man. on you, the creator, and the listener. Yeah, it's it's something else, especially as a listener, because there's so many good ones out there that I just I, it's hard to keep up. And I was, let's see, between this Jurassic Park minute and Goonies minute, which are going uh, side by side right now, and at one point. When I was developing Goonies Minute, I was still doing Ghostbusters Minute as well. So it is an undertaking, but not nearly as much as it is in terms of listening to them and trying to keep up with them. Uh, there's just too many good ones out there. Yeah, so I, I've been selective in my subscriptions, uh, more selective <laughs> than I would be just based on my movie preferences. Because as you said, you know, I would be listening to Caddyshack and I would be listening to Airplane, yeah. but I just there's only so many hours in the day. <laughs> You said that uh, Jurassic Park kind of had a little bit to a, a part to play in becoming a paleontologist. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, so my earliest memory of Jurassic Park, I don't actually remember the first time I saw Jurassic Park. I remember the first time I was not allowed to see Jurassic Park. <laughs> um, so I think I'm about your and, and Kyle's age. Um, Jurassic Park came out, uh, out about a week after my birthday, uh, and I would have been seven. So okay. yeah, about your guys' age. Yeah. And. I was out of town with my mom and my sister. We were down in Florida visiting my grandparents. And my dad couldn't come with us because of work. And when we came back, I remember him picking us up from the airport. At least this is what, you know, th these are the memories you have as a kid. They, they might not be real, but this is the memory that I do have. He picked us up from the airport, and I remember him telling us as he was driving us back from the airport that he had gone and seen Jurassic Park, and I was crushed because I was like so excited oh, for this movie man. that I'd seen the previews were with all these dinosaurs, and and the first thing out of his mouth was like, "Yeah, there's no way you're seeing that movie." Oh no! 
Because it was too violent. It was too much. You know, he knew I would be, he knew I'd be freaked out. So I don't remember the first time I saw Jurassic Park, but I do remember the first time I was not allowed to see Jurassic Park. Obviously, since then, I've seen it many, many times. Um, We used to use it as a, a teaching tool in a dinosaurs course that I helped teach at Santa Cruz. So I actually ended up full coming full circle with that dinosaurs yeah. course I took as a freshman and ended up being a TA for it before I graduated. And so we, you, we had an entire lab section devoted to critically analyzing parts of the movie. And then for my own podcast, science sort of, um, we did what we called science sort of theater where this was before the minute by minute format was even a thing. Uh, we watched the movie and did sort of a MSTK, Oh, nice. Uh, style commentary as the movie went along. And I did go back. I didn't re-listen to the whole thing, but I re-listened to these minutes so I would have my original commentary in mind when we were, when <laughs> awesome. we were chatting. Cool. So you actually used the movie Jurassic Park uh, in terms of teaching. So it's, it's, do you think it's, the movie is a legitimate way to get the point across to show how these things might have actually you know, moved and breathed and... There's pros and cons. Um, Some aspects of the movie hold up really well. Some aspects of the movie are... It's interesting to talk about how far we've come since 1993 in our understanding Mm -hmm. of dinosaurs. So, like, the movie presents them perfectly for what we understood in 1993, but maybe science has progressed. And so there's different things to say in the 20-plus years (coughs) since... And so that's also interesting. And then there are some things that they just get wrong. And it's okay to talk about that, too. You can still enjoy the movie. Like, that's, yeah. you know, if, if, if people take away one thing uh, from hearing a paleontologist on the show, I still really love this movie. I can criticize it. I can point out its flaws. But it is so much fun to watch. And it is a great movie. And it is a great representation of dinosaurs in popular culture. Um you know, it's not, it's, this isn't, I know it's the same director, but this is not Jaws. Jaws set off a 40 plus year hate affair with sharks that yeah. the shark community is not doing well with. And it's not like, you can't do that when the animals are extinct, you know? So like, there's not like bad yeah. PR for dinosaurs out there that people are driving dinosaurs to extinction because a movie scared them. So the movie's fun and wonderful and I love it, but there are problems with it as much as there are things to enjoy and so we use the we use the course to do all of that we said hey let's let's not ignore the things that work but let's also not ignore the things that didn't work right right so there's not a whole lot going on in these minutes to really analyze except for the fact that there's a a tyrannosaurus rex attacking you know children in a car um but one of the things that we do get to see right here is grant finally stepping up like as a character you know we've seen him just putting off the whole notion of having to deal with children having to deal with this, this guy in the car with him, this obnoxious you know, clown. And uh, now everything is on him. He's kind of in survival mode. Um, so he goes for the, uh, the uh, flare. But what would you have done? <laughs> this is kind of a stupid question almost, but you know, what, what do you think you would have done if you, had to, if you were in that position and you had those three things to choose from, a flashlight, a flare, or a fire extinguisher? What would you have done to, to help save the kids? Oh, well, so I, I already came up with a joke answer, but now that you asked the question, it doesn't feel that funny. <laughs> oh, man. Because uh, I was going to say bullfighting with dinosaurs is totally part of your training in grad school, <laughs> but that's not funny if you ask me about it. Um, and I don't know. Have you guys talked about the roar yet? Uh, a little bit, but, but not, um, not in detail. What you got? Because this is, this is the problem with the, the minute-by-minute minute, This is the only problem with the minute-by-minute minute format is 
I haven't heard all the minutes you've recorded. <laughs> I've only heard all the minutes you've released. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, what what is your quick hot take on the roar? Are you a roar fan or not roar? Oh fan? my god, of the T Rex roar, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. It's something that I could um, recall anytime. I could not have seen the movie in years and still know the trademark Tyrannosaurus Rex roar from Jurassic Park. Did you talk about what's in the roar? Um, we did briefly, uh, let's see, I think it's, um, what is it? A baby elephant squeal, a tiger. I remember it being tiger and lion and American alligator, which is currently the world's loudest reptile. Wow. That's a fact. Um, yeah, there's cool videos online, um, or at least in nature documentaries, uh, American alligators, the males will do this thing where they will quote unquote roar, but at a low enough frequency that the water around them shimmies and vibrates and kind of bubbles. Wow. And so it's like an audio and a visual thing because they're creating a noise, but they're also creating this visual display from vibrating the water around them. Jesus. One more reason to not get near one, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) And then, uh, and then of course the baby elephant. I mean, that's, that was like such a key little, you know, component of it all because it just gives it a whole nother level and it's really kind of carries the roar so yeah the fact it's man just iconic so iconic that sound but um why did you have some more information on it or no that was i mean i just i I had hoped that it had been loved on i you know obviously no idea how accurate it is it's these t-rex isn't like uh the hadrosaurs where you can rebuild the crest structure and get some sort of sense of the noise they would have made which i also think is amazing to hear something that's been extinct for tens of millions of years that is definitely yeah absolutely right Uh, go ahead well the i think the other really cool thing about this scene is you know it a little bit of it is in the previous minute where the t-rex is biting the tire but Mm -hmm. you were asking about the course where we taught aspects of this movie and this is one of the things where we said hey as far as we know they pretty much got this right about how a t-rex feeds as far as we know or as far as we've been able to model or speculate or kind of understand the way a t-rex would feed it would do exactly this it would step on the thing and then it would bend its head down and it would bite and tear and pull at whatever it was it was trying to eat so i don't know if that's something you guys have already talked about or not but um I love that detail. You know, it's one of those things where the big joke of T-Rex is, oh, look at the tiny arms. But what we can kind of tell from the evolution of this animal and Jurassic Park is somewhat not revolutionary, but it was accurately portraying where we were scientifically with this animal in terms of the way it locomotes. So you obviously see the old versions of the T-Rex where it's like standing upright with its tail on the ground and its head way up in the sky. And so it was only recently realized in the early 90s that it was much more likely that its spine was parallel to the ground and and so it would run like that with its tail sticking out backwards and its head sticking out forwards and its tail was kind of being a counterweight for its head and so the reason for the small arms is the head had been so hypertrophied which is the opposite of atrophy where it's been so big and so bulky and so muscular and so heavy that the arms had to get smaller just so it would still balance on that that fulcrum point of its own legs. Jeez. So you get that whole stepping on and then bending over and tearing stuff, and it doesn't need arms at that point. It's got everything it right. needs. It's all equipped and ready to go. It and just so. sounds like, you know, what it lacked in arm, you know, power, it made up for, you know, in a big way in every other feature. It's feet, it's, 
the fact that it's using all of the, everything that its arms can't to get the job done. And uh, yeah. the fact that it's doing it while tearing up the bottom of a car is just all the more primal. So yeah, no, it's a cool, it's a cool visual to see that it, they were able to get what we presume is as close to the natural behavior as possible on an unnatural object. Like that's also cool from a film yeah. standpoint. No, absolutely. Uh, which actually kind of brings us into one of the cooler moments in the movie. And that is when, Oh, poor Malcolm thinks he's helping out and he jumps out of the car with his, with his own flare, trying to flag it down. So, you know, to distract it. So Grant can go save the kids and he can, you know, and it doesn't really work out in his favor. And it ends up chasing him right into the bathroom where Gennaro was hiding. So we get this awesome shot of our T-Rex in full motion coming after him. Uh, I know it's debatable and there's, you know, a lot, it's kind of up in the air how fast the T-Rex could move. What is your take on that? So there's a couple different ways that we try to figure out how fast these animals could have been. Um, so the, the, one of the problems, one of the reasons that there are different numbers out there uh, to talk a little bit about the science mm -hmm. is there's only, there's a couple different methods by which we can test this question of how fast was it? And each of those methods is going to get you a little bit different result. And those results aren't necessarily directly comparable to any other method. Okay. And so one, one method that seems the most straightforward is looking at tracks, right? Yeah. So if you find a trackway of at least two footprints in sequence, more is better. You can look at the distance between those footprints. You can estimate the height of the hip. And at that point, it's just trigonometry to figure out how fast it would have been moving. So that's a great method. But T-Rex footprints, T I mean, T-Rex as an apex predator, apex predators are relatively rare on the environment, right? There's mm -hmm. always going to be fewer mountain lions than there are going to be deer for it to eat. Ah. That's just... That's just how it works yeah. in, in population biology. So T-Rex was never going to be the most abundant dinosaur out there. So its footprints are not going to be that easy to find. And then another problem is what kind of sediment would you imagine makes good fossil footprints? Soft, wet, muddy, sandy, like not the best for running at full speed. Yeah. So you're probably looking at an animal that wasn't moving at full speed. The other ways we can model this is we can look at um, estimated musculature. So, you know, getting back to this idea of evolution, you and a T-Rex have basically the same bones, right? Like mm -hmm. a T-Rex in our legs, we've got a femur, we've got a tibula, a fibula, and we've got a bunch of ankle bones and, and tarsals and metatarsals and all that stuff. And the T-Rex has basically the same thing. Uh, it's, its stance is different because T-Rex walked on its toes more like a dog than like us. But um, all the same bones are there. So you can, you can use that to understand the muscle attachments, and then you can build the muscles digitally and try to understand based on like looking at an ostrich and an emu and an alligator where their muscles are and where, how they articulate and how their posture is and how they move. You can then kind of like meet in the middle and see how fast could a T-Rex move, right? Some of those models get really funny. Because if you scale up a T-Rex to 45, 50 miles per hour, their leg muscles just in between the legs, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, um, the thigh gap that everyone in Hollywood wants just disappears. <laughs> yeah. And T-Rex is just a, a solid wall of leg muscle on the bottom half of their body. And there's no gap between their legs at all. Because yeah. to pile on that much musculature for that much speed, you know, it, mm -hmm. it you end up just with an animal that can't even move. So... There's a lot of wiggle room. Uh, I tend to be maybe on the little bit more conservative side and, and think that it probably could have run about as fast as a, a human sprinter. 
Yeah. You know, Usain Bolt's top speeds around 28 miles per hour. I think a T-Rex would have had a hard time catching him, but probably not as hard a time catching you or I. Right. So maybe uh, what we're seeing here in the movie might actually be a little closer to reality than, than what we've thought. Because uh, Malcolm's not, you know, he's not in full sprint, but he's definitely hauling ass to get away from that thing. So. And it was muddy. I mean, we see the, we see the T-Rex in, uh, not in, I think in the next minute, we see how muddy it is. So the T-Rex probably couldn't have moved at full clip. Well, I tell you what, man, uh, with all of that said, I think that's about all I've got for this minute. How about you? Uh, same. Awesome. Well, I tell you what, uh, thank you so much for coming on today. You're going to be able to join with us tomorrow? I will check my schedule, but in the, in the scope of deep time, it's not that much. Uh, it's not that far away. Exactly. All right, Ryan, thank you so much for joining us today, and thank you, everybody, for listening. So tune back in tomorrow, and until then, hold on to your butts. Jurassic Park Minute is a fan-supported podcast. If you like the podcast, then leave us a review on iTunes. You can contact us at JurassicParkMinute at gmail.com and visit us online at JurassicParkMinute.com, Facebook.com slash JurassicParkMinute, and Twitter.com slash JurassicMinute. You've been listening to a Pele Media Podcast. For premium content and exclusive podcasts, visit us at Patreon.com slash Media. Check us out on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Media, and follow us on Twitter at Twitter.com slash Media. Media.